Good morning, Hillcrest Baptist Church. And uh, good morning to those who are watching online. So happy that uh, we can be together around God's Word. And uh, so grateful that it is my privilege to, uh, to share with you what the Lord has placed on my heart for uh, this morning and the last few weeks. Uh, you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at the first three verses. And while you do that, uh, some of you have asked, and you may be wondering, what is going to happen with Billy, with the changes in their family, and uh, the, uh, the closest of the family there in Johannesburg, and uh, his involvement in the school, in the church before he came here. I spoke to Billy a number of times over the last few days, and uh, he won't be coming back until Wednesday. <laughs> so, let's... Uh, Let's read, and then we'll, we'll talk about what Peter has to say to us this morning. First Peter 2, from verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So if you think back over the last few weeks, and maybe you remember, if you haven't been here, that you read through the letter that Peter wrote to the church, you may remember that the first part of chapter 1, he introduces us to Jesus as the perfect, in fact, the only Savior. So all people, including you who sit here, are doomed to hell forever. That's the bad news. Unless Jesus meets you, and He changes your life forever. So if you sit here this morning, and your response to the statement of that Jesus can change you forever, and you say, well, whatever, then you are in real trouble, and you must know that. And we're all in the same boat, and that boat is not even sailing, it's at the bottom of the ocean. And we're all dead, until and unless... Jesus reaches down into that depth and gives us new life. That's Peter's message. So God saves some. And if you hear his call today, don't delay again. Ask him to make you one of his own. Abandon ship and fall on your knees before Jesus today. You also may sit here today and say, well, I am a Christian. Because when I fill in a form and they want to know what religion I am, then I write down Christian. So I must be a Christian. And you may even say, well, I'm a Christian because I've accepted Jesus somewhere in the past. But the real question is, has he accepted you? Very important question to ask. How will you know? Well, Peter helped us. He explained in 1 Peter chapter 1, that there's a required response to this Savior that he introduced us to. The perfect Savior requires a response. And we heard two weeks ago that you, you, re you respond by living in hope, by aiming to be holy, and in all things to honor God. And then last time, we learned that there is also a required response, not only towards the perfect Savior, but towards one another. And we learned that we have to love one another to the limit. If I still have some to give, and there's someone in need, I give. Energy, money, ability, resources, whatever is required. Because that is who you are. When you become a Christian, your DNA changes. 
You're not the same anymore. And today Peter helps us understand that loving one another means constant change. So it's as if some of the people there in the church dispersed would have this read to them, first chapter, and get to a point where they're now convicted, we must love one another, we must love one another to the limit, and as if they say, like you may say, but Peter, you don't understand the people in my church. Some of them are not so easy to love. I need help. And Peter says, glad you said so. Here's the help. So Peter says, the way that you must constantly change in order to become better at loving one another is you must stop and start. Now, it's not like a relay race where you stop and start. It's, this is what you must do. And he makes it very simple. He says you must get rid of the bad and you must embrace the good. You must stop sinning and you must start studying. Ephesians 4 verse 21 to 24 says the following. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Christianity is all about doing. Are you a doer of the word of God? Remember John 13 verse 35? Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you know the whole Bible, if you hand out food to everyone who's hungry, no, by the love that you have for one another. So Peter helps us respond in the required way to one another by telling us to stop and start. Stop sinning, point number one. Start studying, point number two. So let's jump into point number one. Stop sinning. To help us love one another consistently and better. It reads as follows. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Just note he starts with so, put away. Word so. Some translations may have therefore. It's close enough. It's just about the same. Let me try and explain it to you this way. It refers back to loving one another earnestly. And you can look at the structure and you'll see that. And we find that command in verse 22 of the first chapter. So, the so leads us to understand what we can rely on to help us love one another. Yesterday we had the privilege of visiting uh, Jeff and Sita. And uh, um, some of our other folks went with us. And... Uh, I, I'm sorry, Parkers, but I have had one of the best milk tarts ever. <laughs> ever. But, but, I mean, it's so difficult to choose because it's just different, right? So let me not get into more trouble than I am already <laughs> by saying the following. In both cases, I would go to either the Parkers or to Sita, and uh, I will have the milk tart, and I will have nothing to say except, can I please have more? But should you invite me to come to your place and you messed up the milk tart, I will have the milk tart and you will say, what was it like? And I'll start with, so, about the crust, or so, about the texture. Then you'll know, 
What will follow is my opinion, and I, I have a, an informed opinion, about what you need to change in order to get the standard up to the CETA and Parker level. If you can't bake, that's no excuse. I know of a place where you can buy. So, Peter says, what does it look like when you do love one another earnestly and what do you need? Well, firstly, you need to get rid of, you need to stop. First Peter 2 verse 1 says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So put away, it means just stop. The original phrase is in the aorist tense. That sounds very clever, right? I had to read up and I found that this is valuable. Because the aorist tense in the original Greek means it's past tense, but it has no specific time when it stops. So it doesn't stop. So it's as if when you become a Christian, and that's true, when you become a Christian, you already have the ability to stop sinning, right? So it started in the past when you got saved, but it doesn't stop in this life. You don't stop working on stopping with your sin in this life. It is in the past, but no specific indication of the duration of that verb for each one of these sins that are, that are mentioned. You are continuously doing this, focusing on stopping your sin. So decide every day to pack away, that's what it means, to pack away these sins that destroy love. It's as if you are you're now done with the clothes that you've had, you get to a point where you know, some of my favorite shirts, Nettie will say to me, this is now enough. This shirt goes. And one of my favorite shirts I was able to rescue five times. And then <laughs> it vanished forever. That's what it means. Back away. It's gone. Never to, to be seen again. So we have to work every day on packing away those sins that come up. It's interesting that in the early church, in the, in the second century, the tradition was when new believers would come into the church and they would get baptized, they would be baptized in their old clothes, and when they come out, the church will put on new clothes for them. And the old clothes would be thrown away. I think it's a wonderful tradition. You may want to print a few t-shirts, you know, that someone gets baptized, they get the new t-shirt when, they, when they, they've been baptized. So I must warn you that you may not like the next few minutes as we talk about the details of these sins. And you may be where I was when I read through this passage for the first time. And I read through malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. I said, nah, not really me, eh? And then I looked at what uh, Miriam Webster says about the definition. And then I did a bit of a study of what the words mean in the biblical context. And then I looked at my own heart. And I remembered some of my actions. So why this list? It's a limited list, isn't it? I would think that the one sin that Peter could mention that is really a love killer is murder, isn't it? And it's not on the list. Why not? Why not include murder? Well, a closer look at this list will reveal that these sins all have a devastating effect on the love between brothers and sisters in the church. But also, if you never do any of these, if none of us ever do any of these sins, we will never get to wanting to murder one another. So prevention is always better than cure. So these are preventing sins, but definitely sins that will harm the love between 
brothers and sisters. And that gives us reason enough to fight them. This, Peter says, I know, church, that's why he writes to them, I know that you have these sins. So I can stand here with confidence and say, you must at least have one or two of these sins, you who are here today and watching online. Not me, you'll say. Well, let's see what the definitions are. Just investigate each one of them and see whether they fit or not. Let's look at malice. Malice basically means to have ill will towards another. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary says, it is a desire to cause pain, injury, injury, or distress to another. Well, I know that there are families in this church where the husband does not speak to the wife in the gentle and caring way that he should. Is that not malice? I know that there are families where the wives do not submit and do not respect their husbands. Is that not malice? And if I could hear what you say about me when I'm not there, probably true, so not malice. But if I then think that I know what you're saying, and I tell my wife that I think I know what you're saying, that's deceit. It's the next one. The act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. The act or practice of deceiving. So often, when we see someone else and we want to put them down, we just twist the truth a little bit. And we emphasize that part of the story that will make that person look bad. It kills love. And hypocrisy is close to that. The hypocrisy is, like most of us walked in here today, hypocritical. I stand in front of you with hypocrisy. I'm not prepared to share with you all of the convictions I have about these sins. Just in case you think less of me than you already think. What about envy? Yeah, I have to confess that uh, I, I listen to and I look at how uh, other brothers minister and the gifts that God has given them in preaching and teaching and in uh, the effectiveness of their ministries. And uh, I envy, would love to be like them. It is a painful and resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another. And then Merriam-Webster's dictionary says, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Instead, I should be happy and content with what the Lord has given me. And then how about slander? That is to the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame and damage another's reputation. You may want to think about that. You may want to go back home today and just read through that list and look at the dictionary and look at the, the definition of those words and just think through your life. And just ask the Lord to remind you next time you're guilty of one of these. Application is simple. In all of these sins, don't think, don't say, don't do anything that will create a bad image of another Christian. Well, unless you see someone sinning, right? What do you do then? Well, then you go into the WhatsApp group and you send to the home group. I saw this guy doing this. I see this woman doing that. So let's just pray for them. Well, no, Matthew 18, 
is the love saver. Matthew 18 says that if you see me sinning, you must come to me in person. Why? Most important reason for that is for you to determine that what you think you saw as sin is really sin. If you are then convinced that it is sin and I say, I don't care, go away. You go find someone else that you trust, another Christian. You don't go and spill the beans. You don't tell him everything that you think I did wrong. You bring that person first of all so that that person independently can determine whether what you thought you saw is sin. If you then agree and I still am adamant that I'm not going to change my ways, that's when we take it to the church. And we all know about that process. It's firstly to protect the love among the brothers. More than that, it is to protect the love of Jesus Christ in that person, if indeed they have tasted that the Lord is good. So stop doing, thinking, and saying anything bad about or to another Christian. Romans 12, verse 9 reminds us, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So dear Christian friend, are you getting rid of these sins? Or are you playing the yes but game? I know I do, often. What about malice? Yes, but he did this to me. I know it's long ago, but you don't know what he did, and, and I'll still punish him for that. And I hope the Lord punishes him for that. You know, when the Lord punishes him for that, that's good for his spiritual life. So I hope the Lord punishes him. And deceit. Yes, but if people really know me, they will think bad of me. So I'll, I'll just you know, tell them half-truths about me and about other people, and then I'll look better. See, if, if people know who I really am, then I can't be as effective as I am, right? People won't trust me as much as they should. Same with hypocrisy. Yes, but I can be more effective if people think I agree with them. How about envy? Yes, but he does not work as hard as I do. He doesn't put as much effort into his family as I do. He doesn't deserve the attention and the money and the car and the wife and the children. I deserve it. I've worked for it. All slander. Yes, but... I want you to pray for her. Because you must hear what she said. You must see what she did. Or even, I know where this comes from. I know this letter. It comes from that person. That's typical of, typical of him. Just stop. Stop sinning by ruining, ruining relationships in the church. Stop every day. Stop today. So stop sinning, then start studying. So it's as if the people in the church were sitting and saying exactly what I said earlier. So now they've got this command to stop sinning. They're saying, Peter, but it's difficult. We need more help. We can't do this on our own. And Peter says, yes, you're right. The way that you will stop sinning is by continually or maybe starting afresh with new energy to study. Start studying. First Peter 2 verse 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now just a word to the older saints, you who have been Christian for a long time. Don't be offended by the identification as newborn infants. We all are in this context. It's not the same as what Paul meant when he called the Corinthian Christians infants in Christ. I'll remind you of the verses, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to verse 2. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. So here, Paul meant that the Christians were immature in their faith. They were people of the flesh. But in our verses for today, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter uses the infants, the newborn babies, as an illustration for something else. A newborn baby wants only one thing. An infant longs for pure mother's milk. So Christian, young or old, recently saved, or I can't even remember when it really happened so long ago, whether you one or the other, or, if, or something in between, when you think of the Bible, you must want to get to it with the same urgency as a hungry baby yearns for its mother's milk. And for the baby, the mother's milk is nourishment and satisfaction and growth and health. So basically, Christian, you are dependent on God and His Word for your life. Just like a baby cannot live without pure milk. And just remember, don't now say, yeah, but what about formula? Well, they didn't have formula in those times. So yes, by all means, put in formula if you want to in the same example. Just like a baby depends on the mother's milk for life itself, in the same way do you and should you depend on the Word. You must long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's the purpose. You grow up into salvation. So you were given salvation, as Peter said in the first chapter, chapter through the new birth. You are not who you were in the past. You have a new DNA. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, according to Ephesians 2 verse 10. And then we also see in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the following. You therefore, speaking to the Christians, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own ability, the stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Long for the pure spiritual milk. What should you long for? Pure milk, right? Thomas Schreiner puts it like this in his commentary on 1 Peter. He says, The word pure functions as a contrast to the deceit believers are to put aside. And the term refers to that which is unadulterated and uncontaminated. Contaminated milk, he says, produces sickness and even death. But this milk is health-giving and pure. Also interesting that uh, the uh, second um, century Christians, when someone was baptized, apart from giving them a new clothes to wear, they would also, after they've been baptized, they would give them milk. So maybe we should have t-shirts and milk when people are baptized. And it's based on this verse, just to remind people that they have now been born again and that their responsibility is to hunger for the pure milk of the Word of God. Well, what does it mean, the spiritual milk? Peter plays with words here just to make sure that all Christian believers understand that it is by the life-giving Word of God that they can grow spiritually. It is by taking it in that growth happens. Growing in your faith and becoming more like Jesus only happens as you study and apply the Bible to your life. You will not grow spiritually. You will not grow as a Christian. You will not become, become more like Christ if your Bible sits on a shelf 
or it stays closed on your device. That's what excites me about biblical counseling. Just like pure milk always has its supposed effect on the baby, so Bible, and in its application, always has the required effect on the Christian as they use it in their lives. So if 1 Peter 1 verse 23 is true of you, then studying the Bible will cause growth. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So if you're not studying the Word, if you're not studying the Bible, don't be surprised if you don't grow. Don't be surprised if you find this life difficult. Because so often, if someone is in trouble and they come to you and they say, I've got real trouble, I'm, and you ask them, how are you doing with your quiet time and prayer? Nine out of ten times, those in trouble will say, not too good. So Christian, that's your go-to place. That's where you find your reason for living. That's where you'll find spiritual growth, so that if the same trouble happens, even worse, the longer you, you exist in this life, the less it affects you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's like the baby crying for milk. And then when it is given the bottle or the breast, it says, no, thank you. I'll grow on my own. I'll listen to Oprah. I'll read a magazine. I'll go to one of those five steps to success books. What would happen if you do that? It won't grow. But just look at this. This nourishment must be pure. Make sure that you study the true Bible, the true word. Spiritual growth is not mystical. It is rational. Just think back of the first mistake. Eve, right? And Adam. So Eve knew she had the knowledge of God, and she lived for a while, and then saw this tree that they're not supposed to eat. And uh, I can just imagine, uh, I hope one day we'll have a media room in, uh, in heaven, and that we'll be able to go and look at that portion of history and see exactly what happened. I don't think it was like five minutes or ten minutes discussion between Satan as a serpent and Eve. I think he started coming to her and saying, hey, Eve. Looking good today, girl. My own, my own translation. And then said, how's your diet doing? No, I'm doing fine, thank you. Said, Getting enough fiber? Yeah, yeah, not so sure, you know, looking at the hips. Mm. How about trying this? You've seen it. Yeah, but I'll die. No, you won't. You have a, living, you have a loving God. He cares for you. He walks with you every day. Never going to kill you. See what he did? Just changed the truth slightly careful. Just as unpure milk will cause harm to the baby, unpure spiritual food or milk will cause harm to the Christian. Even to the extent that it may mislead you and give you a false sense of security. These verses of Matthew 7 from verse 22 are the most devastating verses in the Bible. Jesus speaking, saying, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That last phrase, the same phrase that we can, we can replace with grow spiritually. So everyone who hears the words of Jesus and does what it says will grow, shall grow spiritually. Have you lost that longing for the Bible? Do you remember a time when you were excited about reading the Bible? Couldn't wait to get to the next portion. But you know, life happens. We get busy. We get lazy. Before we know it, we fill our study time with resting time and relaxing time because, you know, it's a difficult time. Well, dear Christian friends, start again. Start anew. Start afresh. God gave you the perfect Savior. You responded to Him. You respond to Him by loving Him and loving His family. And some of us in the family are harder to love than others, I know. But don't make it more difficult by doing those things that harm the love. And instead then, study, drink in, and then act. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Are you perhaps one of those who have not ever really had a desire to study the Bible? Then verse 3 may apply to you. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I, I have a gift, and that gift is... Uh, that I can use milk tart as a sermon illustration anyway. So here's the last one for today. If you have tasted the Parker's milk tart and you've tasted Sita's milk tart, you'll be stupid if you don't want to go back. How much more you who have tasted, who have experienced God's goodness in salvation, you who have read the Bible and found value in that, how much more will you not want and must want to go back for more and more and more? So much in this life tastes good, doesn't it? So grateful that God created us in this way, that we can enjoy food. Imagine if we, He made us in such a way that every time we had to eat, you're going to die if you don't eat, but you eat something and it's bitter and, it's, and your mouth foams and you actually don't think you should swallow it, but you have to, otherwise you'll die. It's not that. But then because of the sin curse in this world, I find at my age that there are less and less of those good things that I can eat, less of. So I also have to get to a certain time in the day that I have to say no thank you to certain things, otherwise I'll carry the consequences. But dear brother and sister, consuming large, consuming large amounts of spiritual milk, consuming large amounts of the Bible, will not make you fat. It will not give you a heartburn. It will make you grow. Because it is super milk. But you cannot benefit if you have not tasted that the Lord is good. And Peter here quotes a portion of Psalm 34. Verse 8 actually, but I want to read verse 7 to you as well. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's comparing the Parkers and Sita's milk tart 
with a bowl of gravel, dirt from the garden. So take a lick on the gravel and then take a bite of the milk tart and decide which one you want. Let me wrap it up for us. How will your neighbors, your family, your friends, and your colleagues know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? They will know it not firstly because of your knowledge of the Bible. They will know it not firstly by the number of verses that you memorized. They will know it not firstly by, by your evangelistic processes and approaches. They will know it not firstly by amount of money that you give to the church. They will know it firstly and mostly by your love that you have for other Christians. How do you think and talk and act towards other Christians? Will you be found guilty of any or all of the put-aside list? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. When you find any one of these sins in you, then you go and study what the Bible teaches about that. And you stop. You stop sinning. And you start studying how to love one another better. And then you love the brothers. And I want to remind you that I'm one of them. Let's pray. Father, if we are honest with one another, and if we want to improve the love that we have for one another, then we must confess that we are guilty of at least one or two of these sins. And if any of us sit here today and we say, no, that's not me, I'm fine with this list of sins, Lord, then my prayer is that you will reveal to us more and more how we limit the potential love among the brothers and sisters by sinning in this way. And oh, how we thank you today again for your wonderful word, the pure milk of the gospel, the pure truth about Jesus Christ. And I do pray, Lord, that if anyone sits here today and have not tasted that the Lord is good, that today will be the day of salvation. Oh, Lord, do not let anyone wander away. Do not let anyone leave this place with doubts about the value of your word, without the desire to love you and to love one another. Help us to do so for the glory and honor of our master, our king, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.